Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey, where we aim to bring compelling tennis stories to life. As you're listening today, it'd be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow. It's free, you know. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited about today's episode. Um, I'm excited because I'm 50 years old. I've made it to half a century. Uh, if it was cricket, I'd be waving my bat in the air. Um, but as it is, I've got a 50th birthday special edition. It's a special edition because I'm not the one doing the questions. I'm the one doing the answers. Uh, my dear friend Keith Reynolds, who is an LTA Lifetime Achievement winner, one of the great coaches on this planet, asked if I'd be up for him interviewing me. And yeah, I said, of course I would. That'd be amazing. And and it was. But, you know, we did it a while ago. Um, but it felt kind of weird to be putting out a podcast where I was being interviewed. I don't really know why. Um, but I thought if I'm going to do it, the time to put it out there, the time to tell my tennis journey, the time to tell the stories of how tennis has been such a great accompaniment to my journey even when I've been working in other things, you know, I, I did quite a lot of work in the football world, which we'll talk about today. Um, it's always been there. It's had such a positive impact on my life in terms of the friends I've made, in terms of meeting my wife. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to to tell that story. And um, because I, um, I kind of recorded this some time ago, there's little bits and bobs which, you know, have, have, have changed, I guess, like, you know, I'm now doing the work with Topspin Pro, which I absolutely love. Uh, we've got the We Say Play community interest company going, which is going to try and fund uh, putting coaches into places where maybe coaches aren't traditionally found. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope you'll enjoy hearing all about my journey. Um, yeah, I hope so. So without further ado, over to Mr. Keith Reynolds. Well, that's very kind of you, Rob. I wonder what it's like for you to lose control of it all. But here I am. I'll pretend to be a Michael Parkinson and hopefully get out some things which, if I could just do a, a brief um, paragraph before we actually start, I have deliberately not researched. I want the people who know you will know you. The people who don't know you will then be much more in the position that I'm in. They know of you, they have been influenced by you, but they won't have any idea how we've arrived at this present moment. And so I'm representing all those thousands of people out there who want to know more. Come on, I mean, it's a very different way to how I would normally do it as well, which is why I'm so excited, because I get so into the, the preparation, the briefing of the guests, all these kind of things. So... I have no idea what's coming, and I'm very excited about that. Well, that makes two of us here at the moment, but I can definitely say that I want to do it in three chapters. There's the past, there's the present, and there's the future. So what I'm interested in doing is giving you a blank piece of paper. You can write on it, as it were, anything you like. There is no pre-described questions to be done, and you can now take over from the beginning as to how we arrived to be sitting together now talking about the work you're doing in tennis, Rob. Over to you. 
So yeah, well, the start of my tennis journey, I actually, um, I started playing at my local primary school in Cumbria, uh, Skelton Primary School, and I was crazy about sport, but I'd never played tennis. And then one day, uh, a coach from uh, Penrith came to the to the school and uh, got an after school club going. And ah, oh, the the court that I used to play British Bulldog on every day. It was just a playground. Became a tennis court, and I just remember loving it. I remember loving it, and I remember the coach saying, "Would you like to come to a session in Penrith?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to do that." You know and and then from there, I got invited to a session. And actually, on re- reflecting on it, that was county training, uh, which I, I just, you know, I just fell in love with the sport. And um, actually, nearby at Wickton Tennis Club was the club that I joined. And someone you'll know, Alistair Hyam. I think he was about 17. I must have been, I don't know, eight or nine. I'm not sure. But Alistair Hyam became my very first tennis coach. Well, a lot of people who would be listening to this would certainly know of Alistair Hyam as well, who is doing extraordinary uh, productive work in British tennis right now. But a question on that. You weren't the only person in that playground when that coach arrived. At Skelton, I believe you said. Yeah, Skelton, yeah. Uh, So what was it about, and I doubt whether everybody in the playground also then went on to play tennis. So what was it about tennis? that made you possibly a standout person from your peer groups? I'd always loved all sorts of sport. And thinking about it now, the sort of things that set you up to be a tennis player, the movement, the tracking, the throwing, the receiving, all these skills were in place because of I had two brothers um, and I was playing with them a lot. So probably I hit the ground running. And there's one thing, you know, I I, I just, I don't know, I, I just remember really feeling alive on the tennis court, really just just loving it. And, you know, I love football. I love cricket. I love so many. Swing ball. Swing ball. I played a load of swing ball with my brothers before I'd even hit. And, you know, so I could track that ball. I could, oh, I used to play swing ball for hours. It probably set me in good stead. So I hear you saying that all the ingredients of physical and perhaps mental activity associated with sport could be welded together within tennis yeah in a special way for you yeah i think that's true has that enthusiasm continued throughout all the journey to where we are today growing up um from an enthusiasm point of view i I had my roller coaster ride as a junior even up in cumbria you know um uh, my mum and dad had separated when I was quite young, and I think for me, uh, tennis was a real, real positive thing that you know that I could I could enjoy. But I do think at times my behaviour on court, I wasn't, I I didn't learn to lose straight away. You know, when I was in Cumbria early on, I, I remember there was a Scottish invader came down over the border and beat me, and I did not take that very well. My behaviour was was poor, you know, and, and that was hard for me. I, I remember getting a phone call after this match and it was from, like, you know, our county chair and saying, Rob, you know, you're not going to play for the county for a while. Or I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was basically saying, behaviour-wise, you need to sort it out. Um, and at times as a junior, you know, I didn't react well to losing. And, and that made, you know, that 
that would make it not an enjoyable experience. I, I wish now, you know, and something I really work with our juniors on now is is learning to lose because I think you play with freedom if you do learn to lose. So I always had the enthusiasm for the sport. My behaviour wasn't always great, but all in all, tennis was such a positive part of my of my journey through life, even at that young age. So is that a reference point that you take now, both for yourself as well as others? And then if that is the case, when did you begin to get a handle on being able to lose, to put your hand over the net to the opponent, say, well played, good luck in the next round, or did that never happen? I think uh, I think I learned to manage it better. You know, there was it's it's funny because then, of course, having left Cumbria, we moved to Derbyshire, um, and and for me in Derbyshire, uh, tennis was such a positive thing. You know, because I'd left my friends in Cumbria at a time when there wasn't social media, there was no way of keeping in touch. So it was a a divorce from my friends, and I needed to make new friends and. One of the main way I met some amazing friends that I'm still in touch with today was tennis. And and I think actually probably around that time, I think I probably got better at losing. Whether my friends would agree, I don't know. I remember one very memorable match against Richard Morley where he was a set and 5 nil up and somehow I managed to drag it back and uh, and I managed to win that match. And But we didn't get on the best in that game, you know, and... And maybe I still cared. I still wanted to win. I still really, really didn't like losing. But I think as I got older, you know, hopefully I got to to manage it a little bit better. Well, I can easily see a situation where, with what you've said, having moved out of Cumbria, coming into this area, that the insecurity of not having that peer group friendship around you would have probably made you fairly careful about... (laughs) How many people you actually, how many feet you start trod on on the journey to trying to establish yourself in a new geographical location? Yeah, and it was it was it was such a positive for me was um, was getting to meet these these new people and and forming a new community and uh, and yeah I, I, yeah I needed to be a bit careful didn't I but I soon very soon you know found so many good friends through Derbyshire tennis that the people were so welcoming um, it was a it was just a fantastic experience to me of, of integrating into a community. Well, I think that that would be one thing for the coach education handbook, isn't it? That tennis is an international or intercounty language. Yeah. It travels without having to say anything else. You can become popular, wanted, because of the ability to trade a ball backwards and forwards. And you never think of that, do you, going Not into it? All. But you see it You see it time and time again. And I know when my wife, Becky, moved to London, you know, it helped her establish a community of friends. You know, you don't go into your first lesson with a pupil and go, hey, pupil, or hey, parent, you know, this is something that's going to help your you through life this is going to help you meet people make new friends but it's the truth you know it's 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 one of the biggest benefits of our sport it's this idea of what you know in hindsight trying to bring it in at the beginning of the journey isn't it and that i mean that's the task of every coach and every governing body yeah to be able to have that unique intellectual capital that is captured by experience being put there for people on the uh, on the banquet table and hoping they'll have a munch at it. You don't realise it, do you? You know, you don't realise it. Uh, I didn't realise it until 
actually I was I was much much older of just how much tennis has continues to bring to my life but I'm so pleased that you know I went through those stages of of of, of persevering staying with the game that I loved but not realizing just how much it could do for me well there's no there has to be some basic ingredients within the nature of the game that allow it to have what is it, 124 Davis Cup teams around the world? Well, there are only about 180 nations at the United Nations. So yeah. two-thirds of the world are actually being able to put out uh, tennis teams. So it has to have a universal approach, and therefore that's embedded within the game, never mind how it's been taught or promoted. Yeah. But we'll get on to the, a little bit more of that later on, because I know from where I have caught up with you in the past... Tennis was and has seemed to have been part of your life, even if it has gone into slight lockdown itself, <laughs> because you have developed extraordinary skills within other areas of promoting sport. Yeah. And I'm referring to the football world. Yeah, it went into hibernation, hey, my tennis. It went into hibernation. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So... I, you know, I mean, I ended up going to an American university where I played tennis and soccer, uh, and I loved it. Uh, but it was only ever going to be for one year, um, and then I came back uh, to go to Oxford Brooks University, where tennis was still very much something that I did. We went from kind of flying to games over in America to getting four players in the back of a Nissan Micra on the way to Warwick University. It was a different cup of tea, but it was nonetheless a very attractive cup of tea and a very fun one. So, uh, and then, of course, it was like, how do I get into work? So I, um, I was doing work for Oxford Student Radio, which I think was the first student radio station to get a full-time licence, and I was presenting a sports show. And actually, back to our initial chat, I was so prepared, even though it was meant to be kind of unscripted. I had a script and everything. I was so prepared in terms of every show I did, you know, and I loved it. I loved it. And uh, But after that, I was like, I need to get a job. So I the first job I went for, really, was with a radio station, the EMAP group, which was a big radio station group. And I got down to the last two uh, to be, like, there. I guess, kind of apprentice of the year, so to speak. And I didn't get that job. Um, but from that, I did get the question that I ask every guest, which is if you could go for a drink with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? That was from that that interview. So thank you, Emap. I didn't get that job, but um, I applied for a job with a, a big PR company called Countrywide Communications. And I went for it. And it was to be, I think, a secretary or a PA. But I just applied for it. Anyway, I got on so well with the guy who interviewed me. The guy, I think, Neil Backworth. And uh, he very, very kindly wrote me a letter. And he said, you're not suitable for this job. But if there's any PR consultancies out there, get in touch with them and let them know I think you do a good job for them. I'm paraphrasing. But he did me a favour, you know, he was a nice man. I sent that letter to a company back here called Brooks and Vernons, who do the PR for JCB. They offered me an interview. I had the interview. The fact that my fly was undone in that interview didn't seem to stay against me. I could so gutted when I got out. I was like, oh my goodness. Anyway, they offered me the job. 
I was like, oh, this is brilliant. I was doing public relations for JCB, Joseph Cyril Bamford. What an entrepreneur, what an innovator. Um, so yeah, I loved it. And then, then Keith, I saw this job advertised and it was uh, Carlin Premiership Press Office to do the promotion of the player of the month, the manager of the month. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want this so bad. I want this so bad. And I was so prepared. And there was a guy, actually, Mike Flynn, who played a big part in my, my journey through work. And uh, I went down for an interview and I was so like on it with ideas. You know, it was way back when it was like 97. And I was like, we could do virtual pub to pub, FIFA tournaments and all the, you know, I, there's so many ideas. I had a head full of dreams just exploding, wanting to get out. And I ended up getting this job and it, it, it was just a wonderful time, you know, like Arsenal were really on their game and I got to do player of the month with the likes of Dennis Bergkamp, manager of the month with Arsene Wenger. I remember because Dennis Bergkamp were player of the month twice in a row. Mm -hmm. And my idea was to get a cardboard cutout of Dennis Bergkamp with the award to be next to Dennis Bergkamp, the player. And, uh, and we got this lovely like picture with the the cutout. And then the end of the Sky Sports News was me carrying away a Dennis Bergkamp where I carried him away and the, and the camera panned off. And it just looked really funny. Um, and it was just, you know, it was an amazing experience and that actually Arsenal you know I grew to kind of love them I say quietly and now our Stanley is a big Arsenal fan but the team at Arsenal at that point uh the 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 press officer and the head of press uh Claire and Amanda they were really lovely and 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 so I ended up liking Arsenal and it was just a tremendous period for me Paolo one shot one player of the month I was on the pitch at Derby helping to organize the presentation um and and it started an incredible football journey for me well, when you look inside and you were to self-evaluate, you were to self-explore, where did this desire to be in such social contact and professional contact with people, either interviewing, promoting, um, uh, capturing them into the, into the sports, where did that begin? And when did you know that the skills required for it was something that you were capable of wielding it's a really interesting question that because i think i don't think like academically i worked really really hard through gcses and a levels you know i got by i did okay but my tennis was almost a priority at that point in terms of where i was giving my enthusiasm and my hard work it went into my tennis i think my second year at Oxford Brooks University, something changed. And I remember a teacher was speaking to me and, and talking about, you know, was I fulfilling my potential? And I don't know, but she really inspired me. I can't even remember her name, but she really inspired me. And I thought, I am going to go after this like no tomorrow. And it was a poetry module. And I remember the next day I went down to the, the poetry library in, in, in London and something changed that day in terms of, how I applied myself to my work. And ever since then, I've just had a tremendous desire to graft, to work hard, to do my best and see where that takes me. And it's almost like the kind of, the attitude that I'd learned in time in tennis was switched into the world of work and the world of, of just approach to life, really. And, um, and at that, that moment, 
you know, when that switch happened, there was to be no stopping me. You know, I, I have this like desire just to try and do my best. And, and I hope that that comes out, you know, trying to encourage the pupils to do the best. And yeah, it, I think it's fair to say that, you know, when I turned up for that interview down in London, I remember the day and presented the ideas. I was just a whirlwind that day and I was so pleased to get the opportunity and it, and it set off a tremendous journey, you know, like I ended up uh, going back in-house Carling and that was the, the Carling Premiership. It was Enemy Carling. It was Carling Weekend, Reading and Leeds Festivals. Just had the amazing like football and music combination. And then I went with Mike up to Manchester to work for a, a company uh, doing websites. But when the website crash happened around 2000, um, I actually ended up um, starting a marketing division with Mike. And we ended up working with some fantastic clients, the Football League, the Premier League, Manchester United, UEFA, all these people. And, and you know, someone who I got really close to actually was uh, the chair of the Football League Um uh, Lord Mawinney and uh, he was someone who I got really close to who I really learned more lessons from um, one of the things he used to say to me was no surprises Rob no surprises and uh, that's something I take to this day you know in terms of I think when I brief you know when I brief people or when I prepare people I, I never want them to be a surprise I, I want them to feel comfortable I want them like you know and, and I think that maybe came from him um, and yeah, so, you know, all these football organisations, it was it was amazing time for me because I love the game of football. I still kept a tennis sort of uh, situation going in that um, we ended up working for uh, Slazenger and Dunlop around that time. I remember my now brother-in-law coming in to present at the pitch for that. And it was one of his first days on work experience. And uh and I said, uh, I introduced the team and I said, and this is Chris Archer and and, uh, and he, he's played against Andy Murray. <laughs> and they were like, really? And he ended up being integrated into the team that way, you know. So uh, uh, tennis was always there. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was something that I was still passionate about. It just wasn't my working career. So anybody who's ever been within a mile of your company would, un would be warmed by the fantastic amount of enthusiasm and the and the and the heat that you radiates from you well there'll be two things on that one is this huge volume of energy that you throw at things how do you stop yourself from getting exhausted or if you do get exhausted how do you recharge the batteries it's a really good question i don't know i don't know like the the sort of lust for life is definitely there I think music helps sustain it. Like I so love music that if I ever feel down or tired, I, I play music and it and it tends to help me feel good again. I think also <laughs> early nights, I like sleeping. I like getting to bed early, but I love going again and getting up really early in the morning. Uh, so, you know, I can be up working at 5.30 or 6 o'clock or 6.30 and, I, and it's some of my most productive time is early in the morning, but that doesn't mean I need to get to bed really early at times. So sleep is what brings it back, and at times I just crave sleep so much. But yeah, I think uh, yeah, I mean it's lovely to hear because you know you don't always you not you don't have the self awareness to know that your enthusiasm's there, do you? But yeah, I'm glad to hear you say it is. Well, I think you're going to have a problem when you get invited onto Desert Island Disc because you're either <laughs> going to know exactly what you want. 
or you've got so many that you want to take with you that the the person who interviews you on that is going to have to say, I'm sorry, that's far too many records for you to take away to that desert island. I love that show. I love desert island discs. And yeah, I, but it'd be a struggle for me. I'd put a lot of thought into it. You would, would you? And then from this wonderful story that I'm gathering now. Yeah. Talking about this huge bonfire of enthusiasm that you lit for the football world and the places that enthusiasm took you to and the people you met through it. Why did tennis begin to reassert its, uh, what is now, I would suggest, the dominant position? Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, I should mention at this point, of course, that you know, I met my wife through tennis. You know, Becky, uh, Becky Archer, uh, I met through Derbyshire Tennis. And so tennis was really always there for me. And I think, Becky became pregnant when we were living up in Manchester and uh, we decided to move back here. Mm -hmm. And I think actually that was the start of tennis really starting to power through again because I joined the Derbyshire Tennis Association as a committee member. One of the first meetings I was like, I, I'd, I'd helped a guy called Stuart Regan uh, set up uh, the Football League Awards. Stuart was director of the, the Football League Championship. And together we worked really closely on setting up the Football League Awards. I loved that event so much. And it was really successful. So one of my first committee meetings, I was like, we should do the Derbyshire Tennis Awards. And the guys were like, oh, I'm not sure that would work. And I was like, of course it will work. And uh, we got stuck in. And the, the committee at the time, many of whom are still on there, um, they really helped. They really got stuck in. And, and we, we got the Derbyshire Tennis Awards going. And, and I loved it. You know, I loved it. And and from ticket sales to sweeping up after the event to presenting it to the, sh the nominations, the everything, you know, I kind of went after. And then, and I think that really helped me get back and just realise that love for tennis. Um, I started playing more. I started to do my bit by bit to do my coaching qualifications. And I think even at that point, there was an emerging seed in my mind, which was, I am going to have a chapter of tennis. I want to have that chapter of tennis before I get too old. And I almost felt like I was working towards the chapter, which was going to be my, my tennis chapter. Well, we're getting fairly close to the present, but I <laughs> want to just put down on record that the thing that I really notified me that you were a person of huge significance and were able to push boulders uphill was the fact that as a youngster, one of the highlights of the social calendar for anybody associated with tennis in Derbyshire was the Derbyshire dinner dance. <laughs> and this was a black tie arrangement where youngsters such as myself would be associated with people who were driving in in Jaguars and ro Rovers and they looked, they looked like Hollywood stars. And that died its death, as it would have done, I'm sure, throughout so much of Britain and counties. And then to find somebody who had put together a tennis, a tennis wonderland of <laughs> festivity, which was called the award dinner, which went from people who were just getting into double figures age through to veterans, of which I would be deeply in by then. <laughs> Life, music, uh, this, 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 this heterogeneous group. 
enjoying themselves at a football ground, which must have gone <laughs> down well for you, was a was a, the, the feat of a magician uh, to bring life back into something that had died. Mate, Congratulations I, on that, Rob. Thanks, man. I mean, there were so many people obviously working on that event, but I did love it. And, you know, I felt like we had the framework through the Football League Awards. I knew all the different things that needed to be done and uh, just got on and did my best to do it. But for me, like, you know, I think that first awards, we probably had 300 people there. We've had 200 to 350 people at every every dinner we've done. It's been going way over 10 years now. It's online at the moment. Seeing our community together, seeing how much people mean to each other. For me, selfishly, seeing players like Rob Over, who, you know, he meant the world to me as a junior and not having seen for so long, but the beauty of tennis was like seeing him and rolling back the years. Seeing people you care about and bringing them together uh, was a wonderful thing. And uh, yeah, I can't wait till we get that event back going again. You know, the, actually, the vi the final Derbyshire Tennis Awards, as it stands, took place literally a few weeks before lockdown. Uh, it was it was a fantastic event and uh, I can't wait to see it back on the social calendar. And Rob, I would have, if somebody had during the kind of the darker days of tennis social activity, if somebody said to me that I was going to witness, as you've said, two to three hundred people at this magnificent tennis party, <laughs> I would have bet my life savings against it. Wow. Not only other people's life savings against <laughs> it. And for you to be able to defy the, the odds is a magnificent, huge and possibly never to be repeated achievement. Yeah, I love that. But it's almost like, you know, that 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 kind of, you asked the question earlier, that determination. Hearing that makes me want to do it again. Well, if somebody's going to make it happen, you will be able <laughs> to be the person. But this brings us very close to the present. Because right now, if I have got my suspicions right, tennis is the name of your life outside of family. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair. So... Uh, from the football world, I actually I actually moved back to um, to Derbyshire and uh, I ended up taking a role in Molson Coors because they very kindly on, uh, offered me the opportunity to go in house at a time when we had you know Phoebe was really young and and that worked really well. But then having done sort of beer and football for so long, I decided I'd I'd move into the charity world. So I joined an organisation called Torchbox. Um, and they're a really successful digital company looking to make the world a better place. And we had a tremendous, I loved the work there. You know, I worked with the likes of Oxfam and think tanks like the King's Fund and Chatham House. Um, but actually, I ended up dipping back into the football world to get the retainers, which helped build that business. So I ended up working with like Yahoo, um, with some brilliant clients there and, and Samsung and the like. But then I got offered the chance to go back to Molson Coors uh, to work in uh, as a really uh, fancy title, transformational change manager on Carling. And from that, I ended up then going into the world of innovation and inventing drinks. And uh, a guy who, who means a lot to me called Jim Shearer uh, was my line manager there. And we had a tremendous team. I think one of the best teams, uh, along with some of the, the older Carling teams, one of the best teams I've worked in. And but I always knew tennis was calling. And, and so it was always going to be a, a kind of um, uh, a, a role I knew would come to an end. And, and I just felt the time was right for tennis. You know, I'd qualified as a level three coach. I had this, I had read the book by Matthew Zayed called Bounce. And 
I read about how where he grew up, he managed to get a tremendous community of table tennis players going. And it wasn't him, actually. He didn't get it going. But his table tennis coach, they used to in, invite like anyone who like likes sport, they would invite to play table tennis. And uh, they would open the church hall after school and invite, give parents a key and say, come down and play. This is my recollection. I'm sorry if I get it slightly wrong, Mr. Zayed. And, uh, and I was like, that is what I want to do. That is what I want to achieve in my local area. And my local area being a specific part of South Derbyshire, Stroke East Staffordshire, you know, around Ralston on Dove. And, and I wanted to get, I wanted to invigorate and bring to that, that neighbourhood a tremendous tennis scene. And we already had a fantastic tennis scene at Church Broughton Tennis Club. And I thought I can add to this. So, yeah, so I, I quit my corporate job, my safety of, you know, steady pay and pension and all those benefits. And I mean, effectively, I was quite often just sitting in a cafe coming up with ideas and trying to make those ideas happen in Molson Course. And I loved it so much. I love those people in the cafe. I think of them a lot still, Kieran and Roma, I'm thinking of you. And uh, but yeah, so I left it all behind and I became a tennis coach. Well, they tell me that when there's a kind of a hole in the road that you've got to get across, you've got to do it in one leap, that you can't do it in two. So when you started to make the leap from the life you've just described into the life that you're in now, what was the degree of confidence about getting over that gap? That's a really good question. I, I really, I guess I've got to the point where I believe if, you're passionate about something and you do your very best and you care that you can make things happen no matter what, you know, no matter what. There's a line in Back to the Future and I come back to it all the time and it's, um, you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And uh, and it, and and I, I, I just, I just really, really believe in that. You put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. So I went into it with an absolute, fire in my belly to make it happen but then just after having quit lockdown happened so I'm a tennis coach with nobody to teach um <laughs> I don't know I mean I, I didn't know what to do really so I started the podcast actually um because it, it enabled me to keep positive and keep learning and then coming out of lockdown I uh you know, a lot of the people in Ralston and my neighbourhood, they'd never been to a tennis club before. So I ended up on the farm we're living on, um, turning an old milking parlour into a little mini red court. And a lot of the players who, who now I still coach and still love that they're enjoying our game, they started playing on this milking parlour coming out of lockdown. You know, it was, uh, oh, it was amazing. And uh, But I guess all that enthusiasm, all that passion just built up during lockdown so boy did I hit the ground running you know I think I was sold out within about 14 days of coming out of lockdown and and it's been the same ever since I've been really blessed in that respect and to the point of like there's just and I you know I just love seeing all these these players playing tennis and I love the fact that a boy who started on the lockdown uh coming out of lockdown on the milking parlor won Staffordshire under nines 479 days after starting playing but I also love the fact that people who weren't playing lots of other sports have found their love in tennis and their journey. Um, maybe, you know, it's one that they're really enjoying and, and they've found tennis for life. And that matters to me as much as, as, 
the performance players. Everybody around you and everybody who uh, attends any of your programmes knows what, <clears throat> knows what you're bringing to the party now. And in the future, is it more of the same or is the creative part of you looking for other places to take you into this tennis world? It's a really good question. I think that the the mission of, of getting, you know, I probably would have started with a mission of, of trying to get as many young people as possible to, to love our sport and enjoy it. I think that's widened to getting as many people as possible. You know, we've seen a lot of parents start playing, which is fantastic. Um, so there's absolutely the desire to maximise that. I've loved getting involved in the, the county scene, you know, taking on, uh, working with our under-10s county teams. I've loved going into schools. I love it so much, actually, going into schools uh, and inspiring the kids to play. I, I, you know, so but but the creative element in my mind is still very very much there. And the the podcast has been brilliant for that. It's been amazing. I love it so much. Um, the there's uh, other things starting to happen. I think we'll have news around a new initiative to to try and like broaden the net even more to get more and more children playing around the country get them active because children you know aren't aren't getting uh, the hour of physical activity that they they want to get every every day that's what the government said they're not meeting that so how can we help on that the the busyness level isn't going to go away but you know what's really weird is like like we're meant to be going on holiday next week and i know that like i'll be bringing my notebook with me because even when like the downtime comes, I'm not very good at having downtime. You know, I, I like to be busy. I like to be thinking. I love coming up with ideas. And so there's no doubt about it. Even when I have downtime, I'll be trying to come up with new stuff. So I guess like, but the mission, the mission at the heart of the mission is really getting as many people as possible to enjoy the incredible benefits that our game can bring to them and, and that I've been blessed with. So that's not going to, that's not going to change. Rob, I think on behalf of all those people who are involved in tennis, deeply involved in tennis like myself, all those people you've brought to the game, all those people who are mums and dads of the people you've brought to the game, I really want to say this county is blessed by having you here and you driving it into places which... Uh, we couldn't have dreamt of 10 years ago. Congratulations. So, and please stay around. Hey, that's so lovely, Keith. And uh, thank you so much for doing this with me. I guess something, you know, one last thing I've not really touched on, but one thing in life I think is so important, you know, as important as uh, academic qualifications and stuff is just making friends. Uh, and just, I think, of all the friends that I've made along the, the journeys, all the people that you make friends with along the way, that's kind of what make the world go round. It's relationships and friendships. And, and that's been the beauty of my world outside of tennis. And my definitely my world in tennis is just the amazing, amazing friends that I've made through tennis, you know. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, let's hope we can just keep people playing. 
Thank you so much for your time today, Keith, in terms of asking me all these wonderful questions, man. It's so appreciated. I'm the privileged one. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks, Keith. That's all for today, but thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed that, please do hit the subscribe or follow button so you keep up to date with new episodes. And we look forward to welcoming you back to my tennis journey very soon.